The future is a hefty responsibility and not one that we take lightly. But then taking things lightly has never been what hefty is about. That's why we've created the Hefty Renew program that turns hard to recycle plastics into valuable resources like park benches and building materials. To participate, simply fill up an orange Hefty Renew bag with accepted items, tie it up, and drop it in with your regular recycling. That's it. It's that easy. It's time to rethink recycling with Renew. Particular valued resources may vary by geography. More info available at heftyrenew.com. This is the Read to Lead podcast, episode 339. What saddens me is when I see moms and daughters sort of throw their hands up in the air internally and say, well, that's just the way things are. And that breaks my heart because I'm sort of like, no, it doesn't have to be that way. You could really talk. Hi, welcome to the Read to Lead podcast. I'm Jeff Brown. It's the podcast dedicated to your personal and professional growth. I launched this podcast because I believe that if you want to achieve true success in your business and in your life, then intentional and consistent reading is a must. Each week, we're joined by a new author to chat about their latest book and their unique insights on things like personal and professional development, leadership, productivity, career, business, marketing, sales, entrepreneurship, and occasionally, especially more recently, relationships. And that's what's getting the focus of our conversation today. We'll sit down together with Dr. Michelle Deering, author of the book, What Mothers Never Tell Their Daughters, Five Keys to Building Trust, Restoring Connection, and Strengthening relationships. And before you think this has nothing to do with you or your life or your business, hang on. I'll be asking Michelle to share about how unresolved conflict manifests itself and what to do about it. See, I told you. Some of the things that influence our ability to honestly communicate. I'll be asking her some race-related questions submitted by you. Very timely stuff and lots more. If you're anything like me, you're probably looking forward to next year. I am for a lot of reasons, not the least of which is I've got a book coming out in the fall about a year from now called Read to Lead, The Simple Habit That Expands Your Influence and Boosts Your Career. And my co-author, Jesse Wisniewski, and I are looking for additional stories to include in our book, specifically stories of how you've been impacted by books. So if you're able to spare 10 to, say, 15 minutes to answer our questionnaire and potentially end up in our upcoming book, just go to readtoleadpodcast.com slash survey right now. Again, that's readtoleadpodcast.com slash survey right now. If possible, submit your answers before October 15th, 2020, in order to be considered. Thank you so much. One more time, that's readtoleadpodcast.com slash survey. Dr. Michelle Deering believes that every mother and daughter should have a thriving, loving relationship. And it's that belief that in part has turned her into, you might say, a sought-after speaker, online educator, and consultant. Now, before running her consulting business, Michelle served as a licensed clinical and sports psychologist at a Big Ten University, a Fortune 500 corporate trainer, and higher education professional. Uh, Nowadays, you'll find her speaking at uh, conferences, virtually maybe more the case today than usual, uh, training for her next Reebok Spartan Sprint Race, I'm impressed, and practicing rudiments on her drum kit. 
I'm even more impressed. <laughs> All while coaching, serving clients, and recording her hit podcast, which I love, by the way. It's called The Mom Stops here, you'll, you'll realize in a moment that, uh, that Michelle has a very pleasant, easy to listen to speaking voice. Her book, we're going to talk about that a bit today and some things she's been doing more recently as well, is called What Mothers Never Tell Their Daughters, Five Keys to Building Trust, Restoring Connection, and Strengthening Relationships. Michelle, if I can call you Michelle. Please do. Okay. We're buds. We're buds. <laughs> <laughs> Welcome to the Read to Lead podcast officially. Oh, gosh. Thanks so much for having me, Jeff. I am like so excited to be spending time with you and your listeners this way. Well, uh, you and I have had a chance to get to know each other a little bit over the last couple of years. First meeting, I think, at the Igniting Souls yes. conference mm-hmm. back in 2018. Mm-hmm. But despite getting to know you a little bit over the last couple of years, as I opened up your book, I learned a lot of things I did not know about your background and your experiences. And I think like you, I'm a believer in that uh, whatever our circumstances, by and large, uh, no one but us can can choose how we're going to respond to those circumstances. And, and, and it's our response uh, to, to challenges, I think, that, that makes all the difference a lot of times. And now your upbringing in particular uh, included a host of challenges. Uh, yet here you are, a successful psychologist, author, speaker. I think in your words, part of why you're here and maybe someone who has experienced some of the similar challenges might not be, is you chose joy. What would you say to the person who who maybe has experienced similar challenges, but has decided to uh, label themselves by their circumstances? And I want to be very careful here. I want to—I I, don't—I don't want to sound like I'm not empathizing with people who have been victims of the behavior of others. But but I think your uh, your scenario is a testament to what's possible when you choose joy. So I'm wondering if you could maybe shed some light on that. Yeah, um, I when I hear that question, I would say that my response to the person who labels themselves or mm. allegedly labels themselves would be more of tell me more about how you grew up. It wouldn't be me saying anything to them. It would be more inviting mm. them to tell me more about their story. So it would be, what's your story? Because when you talk about how I chose joy, I didn't grow up choosing joy Mm, (laughs) in all mm. of those. I actually chose achievement because it was in both my academics and my athletic life that I dealt with the pain that I Mm. was experiencing in terms of, you know, having an absent dad, being molested by different family members and abused by them. And having a mom who was a single mom, just trying to get through life and survive, having her be mm. more on the dissatisfied side of things and being very critical of a lot of stuff with regards to me. But my academics and ethics were the one thing she couldn't complain about. So that's where I found my solace to deal with the pain. Mm. Uh, the, the essence, though, is that people don't grow up in a, a vacuum and that their decisions are informed by things that they experience internally, Mm. externally. uh, And even though they uh, may be making decisions, as we say it, or self-labeling, it's very easy to get into a pattern of doing things unintentionally, even though you've actually intended to do Mm. the very thing you're trying not to do, (laughs) (laughs) which is what I found out while I was raising my twin daughters. Because in the book, Uh, that joy moment Mm. was like my Jesus. Oh yes. Moment where I figured, okay, here I have a mother-in-law who's pushing every button. 
My husband doesn't understand what's going on. I feel very alone. I'm going to decide to not repeat the patterns that were done to me and take that stuff out on my kids. But even in doing so, when they got to, say, like middle school age, Mm -hmm. I found myself like really emphasizing academics for Mm. all of them. Go figure, right? (laughs) (laughs) Emphasizing academics because I was scared for them Mm. being black girls in America. Mm. And I didn't realize that fear until I actually paused to consider that. It's really important for us to really look at someone and say, what's your story? Everyone's got a story. And if you listen, you'll actually hear the pain, whether it's big or small. And that past pain is what's painting their current behavior. Mm. Uh, And so when we have those pains, since our bodies are actually built for equilibrium, when we have those pains, we actually try to compensate to get back to an equilibrium place. But if we're not, you know, careful about it, Mm. then that pain then informs our thinking and it affects that. And my whole contention is the person who you actually learn how to deal with those pain points early on is your mom. Because Mm. when the baby cries, there's something going on. There's Mm. something that's disturbing the equilibrium. If the mother is not responding in a certain way, then they don't know whether or not the world is safe, whether or not they're secure, or whether or not they're actually satiated and fed. Mm. You see what I'm saying? So that mother daughter, that mother whether you're a guy too, you know, that mm-hmm. mother relationship is foundational for anything that you'll be doing future-wise, whether it's personal, professional, or parental. Now you're related to that. Uh, mm-hmm. In your work as a psychologist, mm-hmm. you noticed a degree of tension and unresolved conflict between clients and their moms would manifest itself yeah. in the severity of their symptoms. And as those tensions got resolved, the symptoms would dissipate. What was it like when you sort of realized that maybe epiphany moment that, that there was a connection, a direct connection there or a potential connection there? Actually, I, I, I felt very saddened mm. um, because I could see the cycle that just kept happening. And it was very hard because I was at a Big Ten university and, you know, students, college students have rights that parents aren't involved with. And mm-hmm. so that whole navigating the parent, mother, daughter, because I was working with female athletes who had eating disorders, that whole mother-daughter interaction uh, was very tricky to, to navigate. But I spent a lot of time working with those athletes, figuring out what things they learned from their mom that they had to unlearn, mm. and how could they then establish new boundaries around their thought life and their emotional life that was separate from their moms. And when I would do that, then they'd start to make progress. Well, what evidence have you seen lately that suggests that uh, mother-daughter relationships are continually being strained or becoming increasingly strained? Um, well, there's, there's research out there. I mean, surveys upon surveys that talk about, you know, close to maybe 40% of adult women say that at some point they've been estranged from their mom. At least half, 50% of women who are moms actually say, yo, those teenage years, get me another life. <laughs> get me my, out of here. My mom would say that about to her three children. <laughs> bless her heart. Bless her heart. <laughs> And, you know, it's also been shown, you know, there are different reviews of, 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 the, lit, of the research that's out there. There is an, a very unique arc in the developmental pattern between moms and daughters that has points of conflict. And each dyad 
you know, navigates that differently. Mm. The thing, though, is, and, and this is just me in, in the way I, I'm, I'm wired, I'm always asking questions. So when I see research that shows, okay, women have made so much progression, they outnumber guys in terms of the number of graduate degrees they are getting, mm. okay? They have, make, they make 80 cents on the dollar now, which is a big increase. No, it's not a dollar yet, but it's getting mm. there. They've made all this progress, yet one in five adult women are suffering with mental health issues, depression and anxiety in particular. And when you look at their teenage daughters, teenage girls are about three times as likely as boys to actually be dealing with anxiety and depressive issues. So I look at that and I say, hmm, we're making progress as women, but what's happened to the state of our daughters? There's a disconnect. That's how I see it. Mm. Well, I want to uh, dig into uh, some of the books uh, concepts here, mm-hmm. and then we'll transition to some of your more recent work and some questions about uh, that, even some that came in from those who subscribe to my email list, others from Facebook as I pose some questions. There are three sections in Michelle's book, Riffs, Remedy, and Rewards is how it's broken down. And I want to visit or dip our toe in the water of each of those sections, if we could, Michelle. Mm-hmm. Um, talk about what you call the riffs, these experiences that, that shape the way moms and daughters see each other, which, as you say, I think influences their ability to honestly communicate in the first place. Yeah. In the book, I tried to distill down over 20 years of practicing as a clinical psychologist. So mm-hmm. I thematically, I was looking at the rift areas being how they see, understand, and talk to each other. Because mm. that's usually what something's going on in one of those three areas. But the age-old one is, we're miscommunicating. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so um, she just doesn't hear me or understand me. The thing that is specific about that is that the rift in miscommunication happens when the protections or boundaries are not, when they're formed, they're not either adhered to or respected and things of that nature, or they might be broken or Mm. busted. It's almost like um, that old commercial for Verizon is like, can you hear me now? (laughs) Can you hear me? Something's happened in in the communication wiring. The thing that's not talked about enough, I think, are the expectations that are either spoken or more Mm. importantly, not spoken between mothers and daughters. And it just reminds me of a a client of mine who came to me because she was noticing that every single holiday season, she would get all tense and amped up and she was tired of it. Mm. She wanted to stop. And as I went through, and there's a series of ways in which I ask questions that get at the root of things, when she discovered that she had a certain expectation, that her mother had a different expectation, and when I facilitated their actual communication with each other about it, Mm. they realized (laughs) what my client was thinking her mother expected was not what her mother was expecting. Mm. So (laughs) there was a miscommunication. And once they got back on the same page, their holidays have been much better. <laughs> so that's just an example. But um, what saddens me is when I see moms and daughters sort of throw their hands up in the air internally and say, mm. well, that's just the way things are. And that breaks my heart because I'm sort of like, no, mm. it doesn't have to be that way. You could really talk <laughs> and, get, and get together closer. And there's so, so many times, and I, I think uh, you talked about this in the book as well, there's so many mm. times when someone does something to them relatively benign and we read into it things that aren't there or they say something you know my wife and I often struggle with this where one of us will say something and the other person forgets that we're both on the same team 
and assumes the worst about what they said. I love we, the way you phrased that. <laughs> when we didn't mean anything, you know, negative about it at all. It's just they, they've, they've read between the lines things that aren't there. And I think we do that as human beings more often than we're than we care to admit. Would you agree with that? Oh gosh, yes. And I can't begin to tell you the number of women who have sons or who ha- you know, are married or, or with a significant other who have read my book and said, I now understand my husband better or I now <laughs> understand why I'm doing this to my son. Mm. So um, yeah, it, it's very innocent, but yet so powerful. It's those unspoken things and the things that we might not be aware of that's going on inside of us internally. Mm. Uh, and my whole thing is it's important to kind of just pause to consider what's going on with the behavior and, and or the outcome that you're seeing happening in front of you. Mm. So that's uh, a bit about riffs. Let's transition mm-hmm. to uh, the remedy, which Michelle says begins when when both parties take on the um, sometimes not so easy task of, of self-examination. It starts by uh, being a little bit more self-aware, uh, looking inward. What does that look like, uh, Michelle, in practice? In practice, it would look like the thing about I'm just going to speak for women Mm because we're women. Mm -hmm. Even I know there are guys probably listening. This will help you understand the special woman in your life Mm -hmm. uh, or yourself. But we're so conditioned to beyond the go, beyond the go. And I remember the time when I was looking at getting my teeth whiter. And I said, you know, I'm tired of using the manual toothbrush. Let me get an electric (laughs) toothbrush. So I get the electric toothbrush. I'm all excited. I turn it on and it says in the instructions, do this for two minutes. And I do every tooth. And when I was finished, the thing hadn't buzzed yet. And I realized that wasn't two minutes. We're so (laughs) conditioned to, you know, trying to clean stuff without actually pausing. Mm. You know, a real pause requires some effort. And for us, especially moms, we're so conditioned to go from one thing to the next to the next, keep things moving, Mm. that we don't take enough time to pause. And I think we're on some level, kind of scared to do that. Because if we do that, then we'll start hearing what I call the nuffs. That Mm. is, you are not thinking that you are enough, or that you're not doing enough, or that you're not good enough. Mm. And then that starts a cycle of, oh, the mommy guilt. Then we overcompensate somehow. And we, we just keep going, going, going. And so the process of actually doing the self-examination, I consider to be a courageous step. And it doesn't have to be overwhelming. It can just be, let me just note that the next time it happens and ask myself, what's that all about? What am I really feeling in the moment? But what's going on in my body mm. at that moment? Because that will tell you some information. And that's one of the reasons why, you know, I, I named my, my podcast, The Mom Stops Here, because I'm really trying to help moms stop and pause in a non-judgmental, safe way to just pause and consider what's going on with them. Mm. I like that. That's certainly something we could all uh, benefit from doing more of. Uh, The remedies can uh, oftentimes, thankfully, lead to the rewards. That's the third uh, section in Michelle's book. Talk about the aspects of this uh, collaboration, uh, closeness, and closure. Yeah, when I, regardless of whether I'm speaking at an, on a virtual summit or um, doing stuff in person with folks, I can't begin to tell you how often I hear moms say, oh, my daughter and I, were close, or, oh, I'd like to be close to my daughter. But the thing is, as I listen to the ones who say we're close, as I listen to their story more and more, I'll start to hear different parts where 
they haven't had closure on something that might have, like you mentioned with your wife, you said mm-hmm. something, didn't realize you were on the same team, but someone has taken something the wrong way. Those little tiny slights mm-hmm. that they haven't attended to it. So my whole contention is if you follow through on the remedy process that I put forth in my book, you'll actually have tools to bring closure to what those hurts and pains are so that when you do communicate, it will be on the same page. Mm-hmm. And it's when you're on the same page that you can then actually collaborate. Case in point, there's um, a recent mom came to me because I do one-on-one consultations with moms. And she came to me because her daughter was going to start a new level of schooling. And for this person who presents as very logical and rational and whatnot, she was getting stressed out. She's like, I don't understand what's going on. I can't make a decision here. Mm. And I took her through a series of questions and come to find out that there was something about the mom's middle school years that she had never paused to consider before. Mm. And it wasn't until she got closure around coming to terms with that, the clarity, the aha moment came out and she took that and made, did some action with it. And I just get so excited when those aha moments turn into action moments <laughs> for my clients. And then they see some of the results because now she's been able to collaborate with her daughter more effectively and clearly about, okay, this is how this next set of your stage of your life is going to go. Mm. And I hear, I'm here to support you fully without, you know, spazzing out. <laughs> <laughs> well, uh, some of uh, Michelle's more recent work has, has focused on the area of race and, and race talks and, and for good reason. Talk a bit about the process, Michelle, of, of working with, with parents and, and moms specifically uh, and helping them have what might otherwise be tough conversations with their kids about race. Yeah. um, My dissertation was on race-related stress, coping, and adjustment. And that was done back in the late 90s, early 2000s. Mm. Okay. And it led to a whole bunch of diversity trainings that I've done and things of that nature. And what I found was that in my circles, my own personal circles, I kept hearing moms say, stuff's going, I don't know how to talk to my kids about this stuff. Mm. Or it would start bringing up things for them, a lot of feelings. And so I was sitting down one day trying to decompress from my day, do my big pause in the day. Mm. And uh, my daughter came down the stairs and said that she was tired of being on Instagram. And then that led to a whole bunch of conversations. And I thought to myself, what if I came up with a program? It's four weeks long. It's called the Mom Talks Experience, where over the course of four weeks, as a group, I take moms through a process of understanding themselves as racial beings. No matter how you slice things, we're visual beings. We see things. Mm. Um, and I can understand some people in the, in, in the desire of their heart to perpetuate equality say, oh, I don't see color, mm-hmm. but we see color. <laughs> and, par- and that color uh, informs or has affected a person's story. Mm. So what I do is I help moms understand themselves as racial beings through a process of self-discovery. And I take them through research-based, because everything I do is based on research. I like statistics. Mm-hmm. So we, we crunch out the numbers and I show them the facts, and, and then they found it to be a transformative thing. So really, the starting point is actually acknowledging, pausing to consider, mm-hmm. consider that you are a racial being in addition to being a human being, and that that race that you possess that is presented to the world that they see is actually affecting how things 
respond to you, how things may favor you, how things may not favor you, things of that nature. So that's mm. a process. And it's not something that is a one and done. I've, I consider it a privilege to actually come alongside moms over mm-hmm. the course of four weeks in their journey. It's a lifelong process. Mm. And I'm just one segment of that process for mm. them. You know, connected to that, as, as I posed this question to my email list and, mm-hmm. and on Facebook with regard to having conversations, uh, race-related uh, conversations with your children, had a couple of folks, uh, uh, and two come to mind. Laura was one, and, and a gentleman named Gavin is another, who said, you know, where I struggle is, is in having these conversations with my parents, or maybe it's, in some cases, grandparents, where you've got these generational views that may be um, ingrained in an older generation, let's say. And, and I've seen some of my readers, some of my, my listeners struggling with that vantage point. What would you say to them? Is there advice you could share, experience you have in, in helping others walk through that, that you could shed some light on? Yeah, I, I've not just worked with folks around this with regards to their kids. I've also worked with them with regards to uh, their adult peers and, and mm. parents. And there's something to be said for wanting to have loving, open, significant conversations about this. I think the first starting point is with yourself, because you're the one who's entering into their world. But you can have all that love and openness and understanding, but if the respect isn't there, and by respect, I'm not saying you have to agree. Mm. It's about respecting the fact that their experience was different from yours and their experience has informed their story. Mm. So if you can find a way to enter into and just respectfully and honestly ask them, what was it like for you? Mm. I, I know you have X opinion, but how did you come about that opinion? What Did something happen? What's led you to that? And really just be in a questioning open-hearted mode. Um, Because I find a lot of times, at least, you know, in the different circles and not just with clients, the the tendency is to be Mm -hmm. (laughs) knee-jerk, not in a, in a bad way. It's, it's sort of like, but don't you see? (laughs) Right. And, 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 and you ought to, that's a very judgmental kind of mode to be in. I think the respect part is where we realize that each one has a different story. And if we can embrace that story and find areas of commonality, then at minimum, if they at least can acknowledge that your stories are different, that might be all you'll be able to get. Mm. And then that's where the love comes in. (laughs) Okay. (laughs) And it also becomes a decision point for you as their child to decide, okay, is that still going to deter me from doing the things that are on my heart to do? Mm. But at least the experience with your parents will actually help you with other people you might encounter who may think similarly mm. <laughs> and, mm. and, and soften your heart to actually engage them in a, in a more respectful, open-hearted, I want to understand kind of mode. Excellent insight. Uh, I, I'm gleaning so much for myself here, if I'm being completely honest. Uh-huh, um, yeah. And I don't want to mention specific family members, mm-hmm. but my, my wheels are turning yes, yes. Uh, as, as you're speaking. I really appreciate you uh, sharing what you did. Mm-hmm. Um, a couple of questions here that you, you may or may not have personal experience with, but uh, mm-hmm. if you're willing, would love your, your take on. 
Sure. Uh, Stacy was one person who wrote me to say or ask about, you know, living in a non-diverse neighborhood. Uh, and additionally, little to no diversity within the school that her children attend. And she, her, the question she asked was, how do you, quote, fix that with, without it coming across as, you know, inauthentic, let's say? Right, right, right. It, it kind of reminds me of um, a person who was in, I ran two groups this summer. Mm -hmm. the, the mom talks experience. And in one of those groups, there's a woman, I'm going to call her Sylvia for now. Mm -hmm. um, she's from a Latina background, but she um, skin pigmentation wise looks white mm -hmm. married to, you know, someone who also looks white. Okay. And they lived originally in a very diverse, culturally diverse area, but because of the school system in the area and the certain needs that their children had, they moved to an area that had a better school system. Mm -hmm. And so all of a sudden, it's like the situation that your, your listener Stacy is in. And so she struggled it, through the group with what do I do? Because she was seeing that her kids had need and that she's more aware and wanted the need to be met for her kids in terms of racial diversity exposure. So I'm going to not tell you the ending of that story. Mm -hmm. <laughs> okay. But I say that to point out that you as a mom are in such a position of power for your kids. If you see that there are things that are not present in your kid's current social environment, then you as a mom can lead them, collaborate with them, actually come to closure about some things mm -hmm. <laughs> that you need closure about, and then communicate in the closeness and collaborate with them about what things might they want to avail themselves of. I think one of the m sort of backside blessings of COVID is that we have more time now on the internet, i.e. have access to more things that we can expose our kids to within reason, depending on their age, mm. such as museum things, um, more diving into say, I and mean, food is one of these universal connectors, right? So mm -hmm. diving into how can we actually engage in maybe cooking a meal that is not something that we would normally cook or connecting with someone who could teach us how to, because I'm not a cook, connect with someone who, who could teach us how to do that. But you as a mom have an awesome, awesome power to actually change the, the language with your kid about that. And I hear, when I hear someone say they want to fix it, you're looking at a large systemic thing. And whereas depending on your position in that community, you may or may not be able to start interjecting things mm. in that system. The primary place that you can start is in your own home. <laughs> so right. that's why I'm saying the fix really starts with you being in that position of power to have that kind of influence and impact on your children by how you yourself engage in the exploration because they take their cues from you. Kids learn more by what we do than by what we say. Yeah. I mean, I don't have kids, but I know that. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. Sure. Yeah. Exactly. I, I was just reading a book recently called uh, The Business of, of Friendship by Shasta yes. Nelson. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And, and she talks about that very idea of, you know, if, if we're not happy with where a particular relationship is, we have to begin by looking inward, as you've said, and, and starting with what we're doing and saying that might be impacting that. Do, do an evaluation there. Don't just assume that we don't have the relationship with that other person that we want to have because of them. Right. Or that if we look at a coworker and say, oh, that's a toxic person, uh, people throw that kind of word around all the time. <laughs> yes. That just may be the relationship they have with you unless 
every person they work with sees them as toxic, there may be something you need to adjust or change or, or analyze before just throwing that label on them. Um, we've talked about, you know, having these conversations with our children, with maybe even, you know, adults in our lives or our parents or even grandparents. Does this change at all or are there nuances to this? If, uh, say, in the circumstances, of, I'm just going to present a scenario, say a white mm-hmm. mother mm-hmm. who has kids through adoption or fostering that are of another race, or maybe a parent who has biracial kids. Are there nuances to this at all when that's the scenario or is, or the answer is essentially the same? Oh gosh, nuances galore. First mm. off, um, again, as you mentioned, I'm in the realm of adoption, fostering. I'm, I'm, that's not my expertise, but mm. the, the biracial thing, um, mm. there is a developmental arc for children who are biracial. Mm. And if if there's anything, regardless of whether you're raising a biracial children or are fostering or adopting, really it's about a mom being emotionally informed Mm. and intentionally engaged with their children. By emotionally informed, it's not about, we can read a book, but it's another thing to actually get out of our head and into our heart and start asking ourselves the questions, what might my child's life have been like in that foster care? Or what might it be like for them? What might they be feeling? What might they be thinking? I won't assume, but I'll actually ask them, you know, again, in an age appropriate ways, Mm -hmm. um, but really tune into that. That's what I mean by being emotionally informed and then intentionally engaged means, okay, in light of this, that I've actually felt them in my heart. How can I now engage with them in a way that's going to be affirming for them, not convenient for me? Mm. Uh, and, and I think that's, that's the part that um, with all good intentions, we might unintentionally be out of ease or comfort expecting that. And just to use your example, white mom, different raised kid, they're raising them and they just assume, well, of course they're going to wear X kind of clothes and, or listen to this kind of music because that's what we do in our family. Mm-hmm. Well, have you asked your child what they're interested in? Have you sought to at least engage them that way? Yeah, it's so uh, the, my brain is, is, is the gears are spinning again. Uh, <laughs> it's funny, the, the marketing side of me is almost coming out here because what you're essentially saying and what we learn as marketers is when you address your audience, the question you have to ask yourself or the question you have to recognize your audience is thinking is what's in this for me? And I'm hearing you say that as parents, uh, as caregivers, we need to consistently be asking ourselves that question on behalf of our children. As I approach them with this issue, that that issue, let me approach it from a vantage point of what's in it for them. Is, am, am I am I extrapolating that correctly that's, from what that's, you're saying? That's, that's a great extrapolation. I'm glad, and and, and I'm following you. And I, I like the way that you put. Can I take that? <laughs> sure, sure. <laughs> no, but yeah, that's exactly what I'm saying. And because as moms, we are so conditioned, as I was mentioning earlier, going from thing to thing to thing to keep the ball moving Mm -hmm. and we get tired. No one does it perfectly. We're just living out our love. We're perfectly living it out imperfectly (laughs) is what I'm trying to say. Um, and, And so as we're doing that, it can be hard sometimes to keep their perspective, what it is they need in mind. So that's why I'm really encouraging moms and people in general, but moms in particular, just pause, pause to consider what's going on in you, you know? Okay. Mm -hmm. Uh, Because my kids know, hey, if mom's been going, you know, a 10 hour day and she hasn't had her 
certain treat because there's something I like to eat at about four o'clock in the afternoon. <laughs> if I haven't had it, then she's going to be like, eh. <laughs> so they know, they look at me and they go, have you eaten? <laughs> so I'm just like, oh yeah, that's right. I forgot. I hadn't paused. So, so I just am encouraging Mars to really just pause because once you actually figure what's out, what's going on inside of you, that mm. will actually help you and get, give you bearings to figure out what's going on and what your kids need. Well, in the time we have remaining, mm-hmm. I want to ask you a couple of questions that sort of step away from the book and, and what you're currently working on. Mm-hmm. Before I do that, though, are there any questions from the book or your current uh, work that you want to make sure we know or, or walk away with? Uh, if there's any one thing, and, I, and it, maybe I'm raising a flag or a sign that, that's obvious, but if there's anything that you can do if you're a mom and you have a daughter, just thank her. Mm. Say thank you. Not for something that she's done, but for who she is. And so that's just one last thought, because I believe that there is hope for mother-daughter relationships, regardless of where you are. But a thank you goes such a long way in helping that healing process. Thank you for who she is. I love that. I got chills when you said that. That's cool. Well, um, as a uh, successful speaker, and, and that's certainly something you're doing the last couple of years, probably more than, than ever, what might be some tips you would be willing to share to help those of us who want to get better at that skill deliver a talk mm-hmm. that's memorable and, and impactful? It can't be overemphasized that preparation is key, mm-hmm. but if anyone knows, and my, any of my friends would tell you, Michelle just like tries to plan things da, 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 down to the whatever. <laughs> and in my speaking career, I've actually in the last year started realizing that I'm passionate, I'm prepared, but there's something to be said when you, you don't stay with the quote unquote script mm-hmm. and just speak from your heart. And that's something that is just, I'm finding that that just makes everything much better. <laughs> People, <laughs> I, I don't know what it is. I mean, I won't go into, you know, my whole, I have to be prepared. See, I'm still working through my issues too. We all are. <laughs> um, but that whole speaking from, and being genuinely you, because there's only one you, you have your story and there's no one else who can tell it how you can. Mm-hmm. So I would just say, be prepared, but then also be prepared to also go off script and just speak from the heart. That reminds me of what a recent guest said, Michael Brody Waite, who is a former drug addict. He would say current recovering uh, drug addict, uh, has been clean for about 17 years, but uh, did a TED Talk a year or two ago. And he, he sort of had to synthesize very much what you're talking about, giving a TED Talk and having a coach and delivering a very specific kind of talk. Mm-hmm. that a TED Talk requires, but also staying true to who he is. And who he is is not very TED-like in his words, you know. And so he had to kind of try to marry those those two and was able to do that successfully. And I think that's kind of what you're saying is there's there's a lot to be said for preparation and these things over here and, and, and don't shun those, but you also have, have to allow room for who you truly are and being real and, and, and making that connection. Exactly. Well, let's talk about books. Uh, I know that you like to read, um, mm-hmm. or at least, uh, well, I, yes. I shouldn't say I know that I'm making an assumption there. But. No, it's a correct, it's a correct <laughs> assumption. I have a cl- an eclectic taste. Well, I would love to know a bit about the, the taste. Um, I often ask folks to, to share books they would recommend others should be reading. Mm-hmm. Those don't have to be business books per se. What would you say are the ones that you think more people should be reading that you've really, really enjoyed? Well, okay. So I I have four that come to mind. Mm-hmm. Okay, so I hope that's not too many. No, that's but not the, too many the, 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 the first one is, and I've made it required reading for my own daughters, mm-hmm. uh, is Toni Morrison's Playing in the Darkness. 
Mm. Um, because what she does is she looks at the whole gamut of American literature and chronicles the place of a Black person's story in mm. American literature. But she does it in a way that's very affirming, but she doesn't hold any punches back. Like she just puts it out there in front of you. And it actually made me, because my tastes have been eclectic in terms of, I've read all the classics, <laughs> you know, I'm like, whoa, I didn't realize that here as a 30 something year old, you know, I made myself younger, 30 something year old woman, <laughs> <laughs> you know, reading those books. Um, so that's one. The second would be um, The Ecology of Human Development by Yuri Braunbrecher, mm. um, really just looks at how we grow up and what things influence us in terms of our ecosystem. So he looks at things and he breaks it down in, in a systemic way that way, which I think is kind of brilliant. I really mm. like his stuff. In terms of my own spiritual journey, uh, Sid Arthur by Herman Hess, I think is like a must read, if, especially if you have a teenager who just seems to be in a funk, give him Herman <laughs> Hess. Um, and then lastly, uh, the Divergent series is just one that's near and dear to my heart mm. by Veronica Roth. Um, and the th thing I like about that, one, it's a brilliant title, uh, but two, the journey of Triss and her discovery of herself didn't start to make sense to her until she found out what she and her mom had in common. Mm. And then once she found that out, it gave her freedom to actually do it her way, which I think is just like beautiful. Yeah. So great, great yeah. recommendations. Thank you yeah. for that. Well, you mentioned earlier the program or course that you have offered. I, I, I believe you have even a coupon code for the online course that expires in the not too distant uh, future. Between that and, and the months ahead, uh, what are you working on that you're excited about? I think, well, one, uh, you, and I've said this to you privately, but I'm saying it to you <laughs> publicly. Uh, I just have really admired you and the work that you're doing with Read to Lead for the time that we've known each other. Um, and so I'm excited about my podcast. I'm going to do my first series uh, where it's going to be geared towards, especially in light of COVID and a lot of moms who are having to navigate different work experiences. I'm doing a series on mompreneurs for mompreneurs and really getting right. into the mindset, the mental mindset that's needed for that. And I'm bringing in different experts as it pertains to business and I'll be covering the mental side of it. So that series that's coming up in October. The other thing that I'm excited about is, as I mentioned, I'm going to be doing uh, another iteration of the Mom Talks experience after the holidays. And that's going to be, again, it's a four-week program where you get tools and strategies and explore yourself as a racial human being. And then the last thing is that I'm also doing um, a special offering of one-on-one -on -one consultation around what I'm calling the mom for the panned holidays. <laughs> because of the, the pandemic, mothers, that whole thing is going to be different this year. Mm -hmm. And so I really just want to be able to support anyone who's struggling with, okay, how am I going to like make sure my mom knows that she's special or, oh God, I'm glad she's not going to be around kind of thing. How do they navigate that? <laughs> um, I hope they don't say that, but if you're feeling that, you know, then we'll make some sense of it for mm. you. So you can reach a happy equilibrium there. Love it. Well, I, I'm including uh, several links uh, in the show notes that Michelle was uh, kind enough to provide, uh, including a free tips sheet on how to get quote her to talk yes. free tips infographic on how to stay on track with race the mom race talks online course a link to that and a $50 off coupon there of course we'll link to Michelle's website and the mom stops here podcast as well so you can find all that in the show notes for the podcast which is read to lead podcast.com slash three three nine for episode three thirty 
1999. The book, again, is called What Mothers Never Tell Their Daughters, Five Keys to Building Trust, Restoring Connection, and Strengthening Relationships. Her name is Dr. Michelle Deering. Michelle, thank you so much for being with us today. I really appreciate it. Thanks so much for having me, Jeff. It's been a pleasure. Like I said, there are several resources that Dr. Deering has been kind enough to include. You can find all those at the show notes page for this episode. One more time, that's readtoleadpodcast.com slash 339. If you've got questions, comments, suggestions, or feedback, uh, I encourage you to send those to me directly, jeff at readtoleadpodcast.com. I do my best to answer each and every email that comes my way, and I'd love to hear from you. If you want a chance to share your story and possibly be included in my book coming out in the fall of 2021, take my survey at readtoleadpodcast.com slash survey. We've got just a few survey openings left, so uh, don't hesitate if you're going to do that. Again, that's readtoleadpodcast.com slash survey. Well, that does it for this week. I look forward to seeing you next time for the next episode of the Read to Lead podcast. Until then, remember, leaders read and readers lead. Oh, 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 oh,